What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Facts Project. Today, second time on the program, Randy Stone, Jordan Alsaka. We are here to talk about Bullet Adventures. Thank you for being here with me, gentlemen. Thanks for having, Thanks us. For having us. Absolutely. And I got to say, uh, from the from the last podcast that we had uh, going into this one, uh, Bullet Adventures, of course, is now live on Kickstarter in its second day, and it's already funded. So congratulations in advance. And we Thank will you. try to, of course, get this off of the cliff and back up on the, on the survey. <laughs> For sure. So to talk about the characters uh, that we that we go, we go into so far with, uh, of course, uh, Dale and Lainey and, of course, a very uh, intriguing uh, antagonist in Michael. Please, for anybody that has not uh, had the opportunity to see Bullet Adventures in its truest form, uh, what exactly is, uh, how would you describe Bullet Adventures? Randy? Uh, yeah, it's a kid-safe, uh, blast from the past, kind of all-ages homage to everything I liked as a kid growing up reading comic book um, superhero stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's a pure fun. That's the only thing I can describe as pure fun. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a modern take on a classic feel or a classic take on modern comics. I kind of go back and forth on that. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of fun with this beast superhero. For sure. Now, Jordan, uh, when you when you described as as far as like uh, bringing a inevitable superhero to this as the main character and the protagonist in this story, what was the I guess what was the thought process in actually making a speedster that protagonist? Uh, well, again, like as as um, I've said many times, uh, Randy was kind enough to bring me into the project. Uh, he had wanted to do that throwback start. And then even from when we started developing the one shot, it was always with an eye towards the future with, OK, let's do something in the modern day. Let's have an ongoing that follows um, Dale's descendant, uh, continuing the man, the legacy. And, you know, we wanted to keep that that light, fun issue to issue feel, but we wanted it to be you know, to, to bring in everything that's happened since. So like we've said, you know, Spider-Girl from the 90s, Ultimate Spider-Man from the 2000s, um, Early Invincible, the Miss Marvel run by G. Willow Wilson. All of these teen books of the past are what, I mean, as the right, uh, in scripting is what I'm drawing on. And for speedsters, it's just, it's the fun challenge. Like it is a, it is a power set that could theoretically, should theoretically solve everything with no problems. Uh, so it's fun finding different reasons why it's not quite that simple every time out um and it's just it's fun people i mean super speed such a great uh superpower it's it's fun to write with yeah and absolutely i would see that uh, the the intriguing fact of this is the fact that uh, is definitely the homage to silver age comics um whether you want to call this a crossover between the flash and archie comics because of the coming coming of age sense of humor feel that you have to it um where do you feel that your comic book differs with a lot of indie titles that are basically being put out right now, Randy? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's not a ton of superhero stuff in the indie realm. I mean, maybe there is. I'm just not seeing it all. But I think that we do have that high quality, big two level of creators on the book. So you're seeing that just in the quality of work uh, with the artwork Nico and Fran do, the lettering that Lucas does, and right up to Jordan's script. Um, so yeah, the quality I think stands head over or head and shoulders over a lot of indie stuff, uh, superhero stuff. I think just generally 
people are trying to, I don't know, maybe they're ashamed of superheroes in a way, but they're trying to push away from that just like classic feel that a superhero can just be a fun person dressed up in a costume and doing good. And I think we've rolled back to that a little bit. And it is just fun. We use that word a lot. It's fun. Uh, you know, the story and the characters and just uh, the work that we put into it, we're having a blast doing it. Yeah. And even in the landscape of this book, although you provided a a grand uh, a grand scheme of, of humor throughout this entire book, there is uh, time travel, of course, in this book. There is a lot of sci-fi in this book where it, where it pertains to Michael. And of course, there is a slew, almost a rogue gallery that Dale and Lainey have to go through within every single issue. Um, everybody always tries to challenge the fact that there's always a main villain throughout an entire story. You guys don't perceive that to be because there's also challenges, although there is a main antagonist. There's also these uh, side villains throughout every single issue. Well, the landscape of how many villains that you that you basically put in, how did you feel like you were uh, creating the scope of the, the villains that you put in this, whether it was C Cupid or uh, whether it was the influencer or better yet, even Michael himself? How would you feel about that, Jordan? I mean, to me, it's always just been what's what's going to be fun issue to issue. We, we've spent some time, a little more now than when we did the first four issues. We, we've spent time going, okay, how do we want to build out in the future? What do, what do the arcs look like? But I think it's just a matter of not wanting to rest on our laurels and keep revisiting the same characters. Though we do want to. I, I think one of the fun things um, as we're starting to work on the next arc is we're circling back to some of those villains and letting them have the spotlight separate from our heroes. So like every issue in our second arc uh, that will be coming up features a new villain or a new antagonistic force in each issue, but we're also taking the time to circle back. And it's just, it's natural growth. It's like, we we, we keep coming up with fun ideas and we, we kind of just yes and through it where, you know, we're, we're not concerned about uh, rushing along. And this is this is a big part to Randy is, is um, you know, we could be very short-sighted or or more um, res restrained about it, right? And be like, okay, it's an indie book. We're maybe going to do four issues. Uh, no, Randy's really going for it. It's like let's let's just let it play as long as we can. And if it ends, it, it we'd rather have the wheels come off than limit what we might be able to do if we keep being successful. And I think that's that's a freedom that has allowed me to just be as creative as possible. Uh, and it, it's been really fun. Now, as far as like. So Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Randy. I was going to say just the difference between the initial one shot is that we were trying to cram a lot of villains in there to kind of create that uh, seemingly long history of his superhero career back in the 60s. Whereas this, we can actually just focus on one in each issue and have that kind of a self-contained uh, battle between the two. Uh, so just the highlight between how we had to approach it with the first one, where now we have a bit of room to breathe because we're going issue to issue. True. Now, there's a specific dynamic uh, that, that's working in here because this is also a family book, if, if you want to describe it as such. How would you explain? Because normally, okay, you're explaining the dynamic between Lainey and Dale as grandfather to granddaughter. But yet, because Dale is like pretty much in like, I would say what, early? How old would you, would you say? Is he the early 20s? Uh, physically. But he's definitely... Um... 
he's lived 60 some odd years he kind of missed the last 16 but that would put him out in his 60s yeah so like now you have this dynamic of laney having uh conversations and an entire relationship with her grandfather but yet he's a young man and he's like on youtube or twitch right now like <laughs> watching streamers so how how did you come up with this concept and this new dynamic within this issue to where you're providing a someone who probably of course reached adolescence in the 1960s <laughs> to a to the year 2023 maybe to, regardless of what time it is in the, in this millennia to where he's now dealing with the and you can see by the way he talks he's talking about something he's talking about his phone in his hand as being eighty dollars in a small computer and can't believe that it's so cheap so like this dynamic of dale and who he is as this old man in this young body in this day and age how did this all come about it is an interesting dynamic just because uh laney has as much to offer dale as he does to her being the experienced superhero but uh, he has no idea what's going on. Like you think of an elderly person, even having lived through this transition towards the internet and all this stuff would be hard enough, but he's missed 16 years, which was like, you know, leaps and bounds over technology that he left off with. Mm -hmm. So it is just a, a nice dynamic to play with um, that they're both on equal footing in some ways, that they both have a lot to offer and they both rely on each other for different aspects of their life now. You want yeah, to I think... No, no, uh, yeah, you I wanted to touch on that. Yeah, no, I, I think the thing that I'll, I'll always bring up, and I've tweeted a little, is this was an issue Randy Event had to, he kind of had to drag me kicking and screaming to write because the initial pitch, you know, it's like, oh, Dale learns about social media. Dale learns about, like, it could be so hokey. And that was like my fear. I didn't want to be punching down because yes, Dale's an old man in a young body and, and you could go for the easy jokes. And maybe we did a little, but I really wanted it to be like, no, he's still competent he's gonna learn these things but i wanted to approach it from an angle of like how can this be fun how can he actually seem inadvertently cool to her friends by the way that he's doing it and just i don't know it, that was the fun challenge of it and it, it was it was finding a way to present a worn out trope in hopefully an empathetic way and again i drew a lot i, I think we've all had a parent or an elder uh relative that we've maybe helped with technology where they don't quite get it and it's not like it's not comical. Sometimes you can see the frustration or you can you can see trying to get them to figure it out. And it's it's that's what I wanted to draw on. It's like, you know, he's going to get there. It's just going to be a, a bumpy learning curve. And uh, that, that was hopefully that came across in the issue. But he's not completely uh, he's not an idiot. He's just he's catching up. Right now, the uh, the main antagonist for this issue is the influencer. And of course, this starts with Dale surfacing himself, basically, maybe on on streaming services, if you want to call it Twitch, if you want to call it YouTube, whatever may have you. And the fact that he's enamored by this and one of Laney's friends, of course, is going to a show to go see their favorite streamer is just it, it, it brings it all full circle. But then again, you're looking at it and the overlying, I guess, theme of this issue is that a speedster is battling A.I., and that's what I thought was unique in this, uh, because the, the influencer, of course, is, is self-described as artificial intelligence. Now, what basic, what pretty much was going through to both of your heads that you wanted to add AI to this issue? 
So from my perspective, it was very much because we wrote this a while ago. It, it we I think we got lucky that it is so timely that AI is currently right. the big. This is the theme threat. now. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, at the time I was just, OK, what's a very unique modern villain we could because we, we've done a lot of we did throwback villains to our one shot in the first two issues. And then Randy had invented Cupid. And so I was like, OK, what's my contribution going to be? And it was like VTubing is a big thing. I'm still young enough that I understand it. I'm not super young, but I'm, you know, I'm only uh, 31. So I, I get I watch YouTube. I see VTubers. I like know the concept. And I was like. I hadn't seen that done yet. And maybe there is, there's a lot of big two books. You can't keep up with everything, but I was like, no, a VTuber supervillain built on the idea of AI felt like hopefully an original concept um, that we can have a lot of fun with. And now it's the sort of thing where as I'm thinking about the character's future appearances, yeah, I'm like, how do they feel about generative AI? Because, you know, when when you use that term of what AI is in in terms of writing and creating art, it's, it's more just, you know, um it's like patchwork it's 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 an algorithm more than it is anything like uniquely intelligent um i i kind of think of this character as being like actually i am actually artificially intelligent i'm a little insulted to be compared to that those are the sort of things that might be fun to explore in the future um but more generally like that's where we want the book to be right we want it to especially as we hopefully can more steadily put issues out a set every set amount of months be a bit more finger on the pulse of like what's happening and creating supervillains based on that and using our characters to explore things a bit more modern, but again, through hopefully a light, fun, accessible uh, framework. Now, was there an overall feeling, I guess, when you were putting this issue together and of course, probably reading through current news threads about what was basically been happening with, with AI and everything. And you felt like, damn, this is kind of like the right time at the right place. Randy? Yeah, like like Jordan said, we got a little bit lucky there because you probably scripted it last year, right, Jordan? It's been yeah. a while. Yeah. Uh, so it really wasn't at the forefront. I mean, it's always kind of been around, but like in the yeah. past two months, maybe it's really highlighted. Uh, so yeah, it's pure luck, I suppose. Definitely. I, I, I can honestly say that. Now, when we're talking about someone who's necessarily the Wizard of Oz, the person behind the curtain, the necessary puppeteer that's pulling the strings, Michael has always been somebody who just been able to provide chaos while he's been sitting behind his desk, chuckling and laughing with the family. And nobody seems to know anything. How has he been able to do this for so long? And yet nobody has a sliver that he is necessarily the person behind the grand scheme of things. Jordan? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's it, it hasn't been like super active up until he's been waiting. You know, it's it's definitely a long game. Uh, we mm-hmm. were talking about a plan that he set the seeds for in the 60s and is now coming to fruition in the, the 2020s. Um, I, I think it's just been a matter of like. He's he's willing to be patient and he's will like something that he wasn't in his youth, right? Like if you go back to that one shot, he's very impulsive. He wants to get to it. He wants to research now, now, now. And learning how to play the long game is what's kind of let him slip through, let him reinvent his persona. And then there's also a little bit of like, how much did that time travel affect him that we, we maybe haven't gotten a chance to touch on yet. But I think, again, when we get to our second arc, we have uh, more seeds that we're going to plant for what his overall goal is. Um, and I don't know, I, I think it's just, 
he's close enough to the family. He's been, he's just played it close to the vest because it, it just hasn't, he's been waiting. And now that Dale's back, now it's time for things to kick into gear. Right. Now, is there also the opportunity within the book for uh, a young Michael to resurface? By a time travel? Mm-hmm. I suppose that's something that could uh, be possible. The interesting thing is that we had that path. Um, certainly in the one shot, Michael, it was always there, his potential for bad. Um, and when Dale visited him back in the 60s, when he, he traveled back in issue one, we kind of set that in motion where he could take one of two paths, where he would kind of clean up his act and he'd be the good guy or he could go deeper into this kind of territory. Uh, and with issue two, when we introduced his uh, older self, um, where he's very tight with the family and everything, it's left ambiguous where where he actually did end up. Like what path did he take and what influence did Dale have on him when he visited him again in the 60s? So yeah. I think having that kind of ambiguity, we're left wondering like, you know, what what's his potential there? Yeah, because you almost don't necessarily understand exactly what his influence is over the D'Souza clan, you know, just mm -hmm. uh, over Elaine, over her mom or anything like that. Like they might look at the fact that maybe when he does essentially get figured out, maybe it's by Dale or whoever, that when he's finally approached about it, maybe he's defended by the family that he's more than likely, like, I'm not going to say he raised them, but... He's been on their side he was involved, yeah. for this entire time. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we, whatever we, whatever it ends up, you know, however it ends up shaking out, we want it to be character based. I think that's the big thing we want to leave behind from the silver age. We want it to be fun, but we hope he's, he's a complex villain. He's not a mustache twirling evil scientist or anything like yeah. that. Um, we, we want to have that sense that, you know, genuinely Laney has a connection to him. Dale does. Um, whatever his long-term machinations yeah it, it's going to be complicated and you know on the time travel side our goal is that it will all make sense time travel's tricky right because you can sort of do anything there's no hard science there but we want to make sure that there is some internal consistency so that there's a through line that by the time all is revealed it it makes enough sense i mean again it's time travel it's going to be a little uh, out there but we, we hope that uh the character is consistent by the time we get there. Mm. Now, another thing that, uh, of course, struck my mind of, uh, upon reading this is that uh, Lainey is still struggling with her own identity. And it's uh, more so derivative over the fact that she still has not chosen a name, even though she is a speedster herself. You know, they, they tend to give her nicknames like Zoomer, and she hates that. Um, but necessarily, you know, just like any other superhero, like your name is more powerful than anything. People identify you as such, uh, regardless if you're just the, the neighborhood hero or you're out there saving the entire world. Um, when, when do you expect, and I'm, you probably already know this answer, but that she finds herself, maybe gives herself her own name. I'm not sure she's going to pick Zoomer. If she does, she's <laughs> stepped in her her grandfather's wishes, but um, but necessarily, when does when is there going to be a point where Lainey comes into her own? Um, I think it it's coming. I'll say that we we do have a, a specific roadmap. In fact, our our second arc 
loosely is built around the idea of of field trips. So it sees the characters kind of sp spreading further and further from home. But I also think, you know, her name and her identity is, that's a thing everyone who's a teenager struggles with, right? Is like figuring out who you are, who you're going to be. And so it, it, it kind of literalizes it to where she, she still doesn't know. You know, she's grappled with the legacy. Is, is there a world where she just accepts being like Bullet 2? Is there a world where she comes up with her own name and her own identity? Uh, and it's something we've talked a lot about. There are many email threads of us like spitting names back and forth and try to figure out what feels right. Um, we're basically just stalling until we can think <laughs> of one that's appropriate. No, but we want it. We want it. We want to nail it. It's tough because there are a lot of good names that are already taken by you know other indie superheroes or speedsters or whatnot. But really, we want it to be something that connects to her. And you know this this issue issue four, it's my favorite for a lot of reasons. One because I didn't want to write it and it ended up turning out really well, but. Another reason is it's the first issue where it feels like we're just in the world now. Like the first three issues are all great, but it's the setup, right? It's seeing how Dale gets to the past and the future. It's see meeting yeah. Laney. It's going through the, the mechanics of the two of them working together. Now, this is the first issue where we just go, no, this is just a fun superhero adventure story with the two of them. It is the end of our first arc. We reveal, you know, how Michael has been pulling the strings, but it's where we get to really start digging in and letting the character relationships be a bit more natural right. and that's something we're going to continue into the next four issue arc and by the end of that <laughs> whatever it takes by the end of that we will we will have landed on a, on a final answer that will hopefully be satisfying <laughs> mm. yeah because uh necessarily i mean dale used to have a team and now that he's pretty much in the future from now uh, from now until we get into these issues he's He's now a tag team partner with his own granddaughter. So this is the essential dynamic that we have here with, with within Bullet Adventures. So it's like um, they've they've almost just set themselves apart as being this duo from now on. It, it, or or essentially, there could be a parting of ways. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. No. We we want to make sure. Yeah, the partnership's a big part of it. We also want to make sure they have the chance to shine on their own. Um, we're kind of taking a similar approach. Like five and six are again, sort of like one and two. We have a Dale adventure and a Laney adventure before they they kind of get brought back together. So right. we, we want to make sure they both get to shine. Mm. Now It's very much a partnership and not like a hero mm. and sidekick kind of thing. Like that, you may think that just, oh, the teenage sidekick, but... They're kind of on a le level playing field there where they both have a lot to offer. Issue three definitely showed that um, Lainey could hold her own. And she's still learning, of course, but she's uh, she's got as much to offer as Dale in that way. That's what I would essentially say, because it seems like uh, as far as like the power grid or the power scale, however you want to describe it, between the both of them seems to be right even as far as like how they're concerned. Um now, as far as what you've been able to build and where it stands in the way that indie comics are nowadays, you tend to put a lot of cliffhangers in um, in between your issues. Me and Randy were speaking on this earlier, where um, uh, I'd say in the mainstay of indie comics, uh, there isn't a, a meaningful way for us to jump into the next issue. Uh, the The revealing of... Uh, young Dale, the going in the past and uh, the discovery of Michael, 
now this one where it kind of uh, resurfaces that Michael is essentially pulling the strings. What is the meaningful thing amongst cliffhangers in indie comics within 22 pages, or just better yet, your comics in general, that you felt like you wanted to do from issue to issue? Well, most importantly, I want every issue to be able to stand on its own. That was something we talked a lot about as we were building this. Um, we don't want to write for a trade. Uh, having an overall theme or an arc that we can collect and it makes sense putting those issues together, of course, we'll, we'll go towards that. But every issue should stand on its own. Of course, you've got a slight cliffhanger in most of them to get people to come back. Um, they should want to come back, not because they need the next portion of an incomplete story, um, but that, yeah, it's, it's all about driving them. You know, you want to flip that last page and then feel like I can't wait for the next one. And if we can give that kind of excitement for readers, it, it just goes back again to what I grew up on. You you couldn't stand waiting a month to get the next issue of your favorite story. Uh, so hopefully this series does that. Yeah. The, the, the adjective that you guys used throughout our talk together is the word fun. Do you feel like that that is lacking in a lot of today's comics. Jordan? I don't think it's lacking. I think that where the industry is focused is is not necessarily on, on fun, light, accessible stuff. I think there are definitely books like that, right? Um, you can get a lot of miniseries. I, I think it tends to be the creators that have to prove themselves, right? Because you'll that's like the thing, right? When a creator gets their big two shot, it's on a smaller character, it's on a miniseries. I think you can find wildly inventive stuff in those zones. But you have the the tentpole books that are a bit more. And I don't think this is the fault of creators or editors. I think it is at a corporate level where a lot of big two books are now proving grounds for movie stories and TV stories. And they, this is true. they have to be a certain thing where they, they can't be as creative and wild because, oh, there's an image of who Batman is or who Spider-Man. Batman's a little more mutable because you can have things like uh, the animated series getting a continuation or Batman 66. But there's still just certain rules that lock the characters into what they are supposed supposed to be. Um, I mean, you can get big runs like Mark Wade's Daredevil is obviously a very fun mm -hmm. kind of light take on the character that you don't get a lot. But I, I think there's that that desire that a lot of people had that I had when I was a teenager and like you want comics to be taken seriously. You know, it's a serious art form and it's like, yeah, it is an art form. It's a legitimate art form, but it can be fun. It can be loose and light and um our, our opportunity is just, again, I don't think it, it's not like a judgment of anything that's happening because I read plenty, like there's whole bookshelves over here of Marvel and DC, but this is just, this is the book we wanted to make is like something fun, uh, something accessible and something that that brings back that one and done spirit that you, you don't see a lot when, when so many things are written for trade or written for the idea of how does this arc onto a movie? Right, right. Because I, well... I guess there it, it remains to say that people automatically have the assumption that in order for their comic to be taken seriously, they have to make it serious and possibly get it adapted at some point. And the only way it'll get adapted is if it's serious, which not necessarily doesn't have to be the case. No. Um, and I, I think, you know, as a writer, I'm not going to pretend I don't want the big fat check. And that would be financial security. But the things I write, I write because I want them to be a comic. I want that. That should always be the first thing is making it stand on its own. Um, I don't 
I, again, I wouldn't say no to a bullet adaptation, but yeah, it's a it's a bigger uphill climb when there are so many superhero properties, um, so many independent. It, it's weird to say indie for things like Invincible at this point because Rich Robert Kirkman is, you know, super rich and successful uh, through The Walking Dead, through Invincible. But it's uh, that that's not why we do it. We do it because we really like the books. They're the books um, in some way or another that we we grew up on. You know, Randy and mm -hmm. I have a bit of an age gap, so we have different touch points, but. <laughs> Calling me uh, old. <laughs> just, just called him out. I admit it. <laughs> um, but no, it's just, it's what, it's it's making the book that we want to make. I always, uh, for me, I'm always like, my first audience is my collaborator. And if they love it, then I'm happy. That's the way I try to write my scripts for my, my independent creator own books. And that's what I try to do with Randy, where I'm like, I, I hope he really enjoys it. I hope Nico enjoys it when he gets it for, for the art and at that point, I'm happy. And again, we've, we've built a little bit of an audience. So it, it seems like enough people are liking it. And, and that's that's enough for me. Now, what is that? Of course, you're talking about Nico Caruso because he's he's the artist for Bullet Adventures and he's done a fantastic job on this book. Um, what has how would you say the reception been uh, since you put uh, put these good four issues out? Well, this fourth issue is now about the about the, the first three issues that you put out. Like, how would you say the reception has been towards the books that you've been able to to give out to the public? Yeah, I mean, it seems positive. I guess maybe people are polite if they didn't like it. They're not posting about that. But uh, I've received a lot of feedback from people who love it. Uh, and yeah, it's just like-minded people who enjoy this type of uh, storytelling, I guess. But yeah, it seems generally people who've read it like it. And you see that in the Kickstarter return backers, um, you know, project to project they keep coming back so we must be doing something right that's for sure that's for sure now um essentially with uh within this book and many other books out there it's it, summer is usually the beginning of con season what are the plans this summer for you guys because i'm pretty sure this book's going to get out there to the public so is there going to be a lot of a lot of political things happening you're going to shake some hands and kiss some babies <laughs> Um, for my part, I'm finally, I haven't done a show in ages, but I have um, my uh, first OGN is coming out in September. So I'm hoping to do Rose City Comic Con here in uh, the Northwest. Okay. And then beyond that, I'm hoping to just do more shows. And yeah, Bullet is, I feel like it's tailor-made to be pitched at a show. Uh, the issues look great side by side. We have so, we have plenty of covers. The action is sold. Um, and it's, again, it's an easy premise to to sell at a table. Um so I'm excited to see how it does. I think Randy's done a couple shows at least recently. So yeah, I've done a few local ones. Yeah, and you guys that aren't that far apart, right? One's in Canada, one's in yeah. Washington. It's, yeah, it's only a few hours away. Yeah, right. So we'll yeah. meet up one day. It's gonna happen. Be sure. I, I, need, I need my passport. <laughs> I have. I have passports out of date. Well, it's either, it's either that or Randy needs a passport. You know, it's one of the. Oh, yeah. I'll come down and visit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, I appreciate having having the both of you on. Um, right now, of course, Bullet Adventures is live on Kickstarter. Issue four is live. Uh, I appreciate the both of you being on here, and I only wish nothing but success for this book. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. So, from James Grandmaster Pack's voice, Jordan Alsaka, Randy Stone, and we are out. Mm -hmm.